a monumental episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. As we welcome you in this week, my name is Tyler Mon, and for the first time in what is this now? 17 months, 16 months. Uh, I logged on to Zoom and how long ago this was, we didn't even use Zoom prior to all of this. Uh, but for the very first time, I log into a Zoom call and I see Samuel Dykstra and Benjamin Hill sitting next to each other in person in the offices in New York City. And I, am just, I could not be more thrilled. I saw you dudes together and it like made me a little emotional. Hi, how are you? It, it made you emotional and you're not even in this room. I'm not even here. I'm not even you're there. Just, yeah, you're back in Denver after your trip to Mexico. Yeah. Which, like, yeah. Everything I'm, feels very normal I'm, for everything us. Everything feels normal. It's so strange. The screen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we are here in the Edgar Martinez. Ah, I was going to ask you what the room was. Yes. Okay. Um, we, I, I just found this out t- today that technically we're on the sixth floor now. And sixth floor is the sluggers floor. Ah, I, smacking worked, dingers all over the place. Yeah. I wish I could say I've, I've worked here 18 months and I'm just figuring this out now, but like I didn't, you know, we were in the office for two months and then COVID happened and we yeah. all went home. Yeah. And I don't have conference rooms in my home. Yeah. Uh, same. Same. My, my Brooklyn studio. So uh, it is, yeah, it's funny getting back into offices. Ben and I were talking before we got in here. Uh, it's like, yeah, do you want to go to the room now? It's like, oh, wait, somebody might actually be using it before. Yeah. Us. That's a new experience. Yeah. That's a new thing. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's good to be back in the same room. as you It really is. It is very emotion. The emotion is so thick in here. You could cut it with a knife. Uh, metaphorically speaking. Right. And it is great to be back. And, uh, you know, I do have conference rooms in my palatial estate right. named after each of the members of uh, the original lineup of Black Sabbath. You know, <laughs> we'll meet you in the geezer butler room. Uh, but still, it is uh, very good to be back in the office and, uh, you know, returning the normalcy. It's a good feeling all around. And I feel like that'll kind of be the theme of the show in a lot of ways, because it's the theme of uh, a lot of people's lives right now. And who and are we, but a uh, very fun theme. of the zeitgeist. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and God, what a theme it is. When you think back to what we were all doing a year ago, uh, it feels pretty incredible to be able to have things like this happening. Uh, and we are so delighted. Is this the first time that you two have seen each other in person since the start of everything? Since the yeah, before? Seriously, I, I came in wow. this morning and I instantly recognized Ben because of the hair now. <laughs> The hair is like incredible on zoom. I mean, that's the glory of zoom is that at least we know what everybody still looks like. Um, but yeah, this was, we sit back to back. Now we sit in a new section. Like this is the first time we've seen each other in all this Amazing. time. Amazing. Um, well, it makes me quite emotional seeing you two dudes finally in the same place in the same time. And, uh, and hopefully one of these months sometime soon, I will be out there to uh, check. I haven't even seen these new offices, so I'll be very excited to see you guys and check out the new digs and all of that. And, uh, with that, we're going to get started on this week's episode of the show before the show, we got a great conversation coming up here in just a little bit with, uh, Fresno president, Derek Franks, who joined the show after 4th of July weekend reopening weekend in Fresno and for so many teams uh, across the minor league landscape, a really fun conversation with him. Um, It just feels good to feel good about things lately. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where we are on, uh, on this week's episode of the show before the show. And with that, a thing that we are very excited to feel good about is coming up real soon. And that is with uh, our good pal, Benjamin Hill, who is hitting the road for the first time since 2019. Ben is back on the road very soon. We previewed the itinerary a little bit last episode, but Ben, 
when do you leave? Give us uh, kind of the, the granular elements of, of the planning for your first road trip back in 2021. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, long time listeners, uh, and by long time, I mean, I guess those who listened to last week's podcast, uh, you know, talked about the trip last week, but, uh, it's Wednesday right now. I'll be leaving bright and early on Friday morning. And, uh, do want to go over the itinerary again one more time because I've gotten great emails or uh, tweets from people who listen to the podcast who, you know, chime in with travel tips or might even come to the ballparks and say hello or whatever the case may be. But I'm flying into Chattanooga on Friday morning and seeing a, the Chattanooga lookouts on Friday, July 9th. That'll actually be knock on wood. This is wood enough, this yeah, table. Yeah. Um, knock on wood, that'll be the first time I actually see an official regulation game at uh, Chattanooga. They got rained out the last time I was there. Or no, the last time I was there, I messed up the schedule and they played a day game and I missed it. The time before that, they got rained out. So this is a third time's the charm in Chattanooga on a Friday night in July. Then heading over to uh, Toyota Field, head home of the Rocket City Trash Pandas in the greater Huntsville area, new ballpark. Spend two nights there, the 10th and 11th. Saturday and Sunday, then Monday is an off day all around minor league baseball. I'll take a nice long drive, end up in the uh, Smoky Mountain region, the greater Knoxville area, and uh, see the Tennessee Smokies on Tuesday, July 13th, which I do not have a designated eater at this moment. So email me, benjamin.hill at mlb.com if you want to be a designated eater at the July 13th Tennessee Smokies game. That opportunity will go fast, I am sure. Uh, but of course, the designated eater eats the gluten-free ballpark cuisine that my uh, no eats the ballpark cuisine that my gluten-free diet prohibits. They eat uh, gluten-packed uh, cuisine. Yes, <laughs> all the gluten they can eat. Yeah, so much gluten. Uh, then uh, Hickory Crawdads on July fourteenth. Haven't been there for I think seven years, and then two nights at another new ballpark uh, with the Atrium Health Ballpark, I believe it is named. Uh, it is named that. Uh, the Canapolis Cannonballers Atrium Health Ballpark on the nights of the 15th and 16th. And then on the 17th, I will drive all the way back to Chattanooga because you cannot drop off a rental car at a different location than you picked it up here in the year of our Lord 2021. So anyhow, Twitter at Ben's Biz, Benjamin.Hill at MLB.com. Get in touch with uh, any road trip feedback whatsoever. If you're in that region, I hope to see you. If you want to eat at a, eat for me at a uh, Tennessee Smokies game on July 13th, let me know real quick maybe that opportunity will still be available and i'm excited i'm excited to get back out there yeah a lot of talk about my hair and you know i'm not a vain man i don't like to talk about my appearance but i spent all day going back and forth about whether to finally get a haircut i keep saying i'm going to do it so uh i don't know if you see me on the road we'll see <laughs> i'll either have uh, the better part of two years of growth or a fresh cut keep you on suspense because people care so much about these things right and that's just another reason for people to show up to the ballpark then between chattanooga hickory Tennessee, Rocket City, is to see whether you cut your hair or not. I'm sure that whole region will be just chomping at the <laughs> bit. <laughs> All right. Well, one thing we should uh, pivot to here real quick was a cool story. I guess I'd say cool. It's an interesting story. It's a story you'll only really hear about in the minors, it, but although it reminds me of a specific game in Cleveland a couple of years back. Uh, but you wrote about the St. Saint Paul Saints and their Mayfly, Mayfly problem. Um, which some of the art for this story is you have to see it. Go check it out on MLB.com right now. It's St. Paul Saints uh, contend with annual mayfly infestation. The actual title of the story is The Hatching, which sounds like an absolute horror movie that I do not want to see. Um, but how do the, the Saints deal with this annual issue? Yeah, mayflies. I first kind of learned about mayflies uh, 
like I've learned through about so many things uh, through my job, um, the Harrisburg senators deal with them quite a bit. They have a ballpark on the Susquehanna River. And uh, I'm no insect biologist, whatever the term for that is, entomologist. Thank you, it came to me. Uh, and I don't know about the specifics, but mayflies live in aquatic environments in a larval stage. And then they hatch, and it's often a synchronized hatching, and they live roughly 24 hours as flying winged insects out and about. And uh, so if you're a minor league baseball team or any business with a lot of lights or any community with a lot of lights near water and the mayflies hatch, there are just swarms. I mean, I don't know how you begin to count them. Millions and millions. It might go into billions in some cases. Who knows? Even trillions. I don't even know how high numbers go, but there's a lot of mayflies when they hatch. The St. Paul Saints, CHS Field, it is right near the Mississippi River. And uh, so it's become an annual thing for them that the mayflies hatch, a synchronized hatching, and the ballpark gets bombarded. In 2019, this happened during a game, and there's a video embedded in my story of this happening during a game when the fans and the players and everyone is just dealing with these hordes of insects, which I don't know how you'd go about playing a baseball game with all that going on, but they tried to do it. Uh, this year was fortunate in the sense that the team was on the road, but nonetheless, you know, the stadium ops crew, the grounds crew comes to the ballpark the next day, knowing that this is what awaits them. Just millions and millions and millions of dead bodies all over the concourse, dead mayfly bodies. Yeah, dead, uh, dead insect <laughs> bodies. Dead insect we have bodies. to be as clear as yeah, we yeah, can yeah, about yeah. this. Yeah, we said this is a positive show. Um, <laughs> You know, all over the concourse. It was in the bullpens, in the dugouts, you know, on the field, everywhere. So I talked to Eric Frank, who is... The pictures uh, are horrifying, by the way. The story on the site, the pictures are horrifying. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, Eric Frank, who I talked to, who is the field operations manager for the Saints, you know, he had a kind of good attitude about it. And, and I, I found, I've talked to enough groundskeepers and ops guys through the years. A job like that, you kind of have that... Uh, cynical mentality of like, you've seen it all. And, you know, this is just one more thing you have to deal with. Uh, so I don't think they were overly phased by it, but he was just like, you know, get out the garbage bags, get out the vacuums, get out the shovels and methodically, you know, break into teams and just move throughout the whole ballpark, you know, blow them in into the piles, sweeping them up, disposing them. Uh, you know, he said at one point, you know, so even though they only live about 24 hours, he said there was like a faint buzz coming from some of the piles, you know, these mayflies were on their, their little last gasp and that's a little bit morbid, but uh, speaking positively, mayflies only hatch if the water's clean, they only thrive in environments where the water's clean enough for them to do so, where the oxygen is clean enough for them to do so. So um, there is a byproduct of all this is that it's an ecological sign that the water is not overly polluted. So in a way, it's like the mayflies, it's a big nuisance. It's kind of horrifying for us. But I was even questioning the terminology like we, I use in an article like this, an infestation. And it's like, well, they're alive. They are living their lives. I feel like the humans are the ones who've really infested everything. And we should uh, just roll with it when someone infests us because who's to say is the infester or the, who's to say who the infestee is? Really makes you think. That does make you think. Especially when you think about like what human beings are doing all the time. We've pretty much infested every other creature on the planet. It's terrible. Um, that Positive stuff, show. <laughs> that stuff up on the site right now. Of course, you can follow along with Ben's uh, journey back onto the road of mon among minor league baseball teams uh, on social media. He is at Ben's Biz on Twitter and at the Ben's Biz on Instagram. Um, 
may have to uh, Venmo you some money to send me a lookouts hat because I don't have one yet for some reason. Um, ben, give us a preview. This is a great conversation that we got coming up uh, in in Fresno, a team that went through a, a very lengthy process to figure out kind of who and what it would be in 2021. Very cool to see the Fresno Grizzlies back and doing Fresno Grizzlies things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will say broadly speaking, um, you know, got a lot of road trip logistics coming, you know, going on right now, but uh, came back to the office and was like, I need to write a story about July 4th in the minor leagues because it was just clear right away that it was just really, really significant in 2021. Uh, as any fan knows, it's a huge night at the gate, huge night attendance wise uh, for teams across the country, whether they play on July 4th or July 3rd or July 5th or whenever their July 4th observed is. It's one of the biggest nights of the year, but this year, um, with the very, with no 2020, the slow start to 2021, um, capacity restrictions, it seemed in a lot of cases, this was the first time that it was like, we're back, we're back. Our fans are back. And, uh, so I have an article that I'm, uh, that'll be up on the site, uh, Thursday, I imagine the same day this uh, podcast appears, just an overview of July 4th and the minors. And as an extension of that, we focused on the Fresno Grizzlies who staged a reopening weekend, drew almost 11,000 people on July 4th. Uh, kind of proved to themselves and the community and uh, naysayers across the land that even though they've gone from a triple A team down to low A, uh, you know, can still draw big crowds and uh, bring that big ballpark energy, uh, even in their current circumstances. And uh, it's also indicative of what what went on across the minors uh, this weekend. It's just teams feeling good, people feeling good back at it, back in the ballpark, back having a good time. So I think it's uh, great to talk to Derek Franks of the Fresno Grizzlies uh, to get an on-the-ground perspe- on perspective of uh, feeling that things are on the up-and-up and getting better all the time. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. It's the Show Before the Show podcast. I am Ben Hill, joined in person to my left with uh by with see i can't even talk i sit next to someone and i don't even know what i'm saying anymore sam dykstra is sitting to my immediate left tyler mon is in colorado and our guest all the way from fresno california derek franks the president of the fresno grizzlies derek thank you for being with us tonight hey thanks guys for having me appreciate it a lot well we are talking here uh the week after july 4th a sort of hungover week in a sense if not literally just uh things coming back to normal after a celebratory weekend. And it was a huge weekend in minor league baseball. It's always a huge weekend for minor league teams, but I think it's safe to say this year felt 
a little more important, a little more special after no 2020 season, after a lot of capacity restrictions to start 2021, fans hesitant to come to the ballpark. But a lot of teams really had things uh, come together over the weekend, and Fresno was one of them for what they build as the reopening weekend, July 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. So we're just here to talk with Derek about that. I guess big picture, Derek, what did it mean to uh, have huge crowds at the ballpark? You almost had 11,000 people in the stands at Chuck Chansey Park uh, on July 4th. What did it mean to be operating at that those levels again after such a layoff? Well, it really meant a lot. And I think we called it reopening weekend. It's kind of twofold meaning. One, we, uh, it, you know, it was a celebration of being the, our state being reopened. We, we got to full capacity in California on June 15th. And, uh, and so it also felt like a do-over for us uh, as well to kind of redo opening weekend. I think, you know, probably, you know, like every team, uh, when we lost the 2020 season, we had all had envisioned this romantic return to baseball on opening weekend. We would flood the stands with people and it would be this great return to normal. And, uh, you know, that was put on delay, obviously, as we all know, we didn't get back to full capacity till a couple of weeks before the big weekend. Uh, we were operating at 33% through May and through uh, first half of June. And, uh, and so this felt like a do-over. We got to shoot off fireworks. We brought in all the food trucks. Um, you know, we've, we've slowly kind of scaled up the operation since May. And so, you know, our fans that came out at the beginning of the season didn't have all the food offerings, didn't have all the amenities that they're used to, uh, had additional rules they had to follow. So uh, we, we kind of said this was like a do-over combined with the 4th of July celebration. And in Fresno, in the, uh, the schedule that we were used to in the PCL, we, had, uh, we always had the 4th uh, and the 5th and kind of had the, the days after the 4th. And uh, it just worked out perfectly for Fresno this year to have the second, third, and fourth, so we could do the entire weekend, and uh, we had three, three of our three best crowds of the year, um, which was just really special. Yeah, and um, you know, talking about you know ramping things back up, um, just from an operational staffing perspective, um, you know, how much prep did you need uh, after such a long layoff and uh, no season at all, and then small crowds, and every team is kind of operating on a reduced budget. Um, you know, what was the process in saying, whoa, you know, we got, we've got uh, huge crowds coming and uh, getting things all right uh, up to speed on, uh, on, that, on that front of the operation? You know, it's interesting because we kind of had, it's like, I can answer that question twofold. On one hand, we had almost, you know, almost two months of sort of soft openings to get back in the groove of having crowds, to get back into um, operating the, the building after having it being empty for so long. Uh, and so that's an advantage for us to, to have more time to get ready with, you know, smaller staff and some unknowns and, and uh, restrictions and all those things. Um, but then the other challenge, even though we had kind of two months of warm up, uh, it's tough to scale up from 33 percent to, you know, for us on the 4th of July, uh, a sellout crowd. And, and for us, that's a huge gap having, you know, 3000 to over 10,000. Uh, operationally, it is challenging to scale up to that degree. Um, it's like, you know, we always say like, it's uh, sometimes it's like an accordion when you have a big ballpark like ours, you know, you go, you know, I find myself, the reason I say accordion is my hands sort of go back and forth. Like I'm playing an accordion. It's like, we're, we're down here. And then all of a sudden we have the biggest weekend of the year. And then, you know, we're going to go back to, uh, uh, 
you know, midweek and have to scale back down. So when the accordion expands out, um, especially after a long run up with small crowds and smaller staff, um, it is, it's definitely challenging. And I think, uh, you know, we've, uh, uh, we definitely had uh, uh, had those last minute things that we were like, oh, man, uh, we need to scale up here or, or we forgot about that, even though we had a lot of time to get ready for it. So it uh, felt good, though. I mean, having people in the ballpark the way we did this weekend, uh, it, it was how we remembered baseball from 2019, uh, really for the first time. We had we have a lot of we had a lot of enthusiasm early in the season for baseball, but you just don't get the electricity that you do by having sell out type crowds. Uh, and so that was, uh, that was awesome for our community, for our staff. Yeah. I like that accordion analogy there a lot. And, um, you know, speaking of going from 33% to hundred percent is really almost putting your foot on the accelerator there real quick. What was the moment it felt like things were truly back for you? I got, I got excited when you said the food trucks were back. Cause I know that's a huge thing there in Fresno, but at what point over the weekend or at any point, did it really feel like, Hey, this is, we're fully back into where we were around 2019 even. Well, I think uh, for us, you know, I, we could feel the buzz in the days leading up, just the, the frequency of the, the folks walking up to the box office, uh, the, the amount of calls coming in. So you could kind of, you could feel the old anticipation uh, coming as the days leading up. But, uh, but I'll tell you, I stood up here on the second deck and looked down probably in the, uh, about the, about the fourth inning, top of the fourth inning on Friday night. And, you know, at that time where you've got enough people have come into the ballpark, uh, settled in to their seats and, and looked out and said, man, this, this, this is it. We're back. And uh, that was on Friday. Uh, and Saturday was a little bit bigger than that. And Sunday was the biggest of the three. And, uh, and it just looks different. It looks different. Uh, you, you could just fit, see it. You could see the energy in the, in the top of the fourth. Everybody had their food. Everybody's kind of hanging out. They're in the best seats, kind of dug out to dug out. And uh, that was the moment that, uh, that you could definitely feel uh, that 2019 feel like I mentioned. Yeah, and, and one thing we should address, too, we don't need to go into the whole history of it um, because it is a little bit of the past now. But Fresno, when you guys were in 2019, we're a AAA team. Like you said, you guys used to be part of the old PCL. You guys are dropping out down to low A, um, but you're still drawing crowds. Like we said, close to 11,000. Uh, you guys over the weekend, I think we're fourth highest in, in all of minor league baseball, just behind Albuquerque, Nashville, and Charlotte, but ahead of teams like Indianapolis, Round Rock, Durham. Um, you know, how much did it mean, despite this drop in level, to still have the people come out by the thousands to capacity crowds in this way? Yeah, well, it, it meant a lot. And I think for the reasons you said, going from AAA to, to a lower level of baseball obviously opens up a lot of questions of uh, will they still draw? Will people still buy into that product? Um, and, and we've had a lot of people ask us what that change means. Why did it happen? So it's really, you know, we've Fresno has had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, we were the Giants affiliate in AAA for 17 years. And since that change, our organization has changed affiliates several times. Now we've changed to a, a different classification of baseball and in the same year that we're introducing a new affiliate. And so, you know, every time uh, that you're, you know, kind of on this path of building your brand and, and, and growing the fan experience year by year, um, I would say it's like each time you have to retell that story of the, the, the affiliation change or some other change, you kind of take a, uh, 
like a pit stop, like in NASCAR, you know, you kind of pull off to the side and you have to, you know, stop what you're doing and you have to kind of re-educate and, and do this thing over and over. And, um, you know, as you guys can imagine, we, we've had a great support um, here because, you know, most of our fans and, and, and all these communities are, are, you know, they come out for the, the experience and the promotions and the fun. Um, and we had, you know, 90 plus percent of our season ticket holders and, and roll over from the year before. Uh, we've had more corporate partners come on board going into 2021, uh, way more than we anticipated. So there's been a lot of community support and rally around us during this change. But I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that uh, the topic of single A baseball, um, uh, the change of the, the Rockies and low A wasn't a constant uh, sort of pit stop in almost every uh, interaction we have with people. And, you know, some people, uh, you know, say, hey, we're not coming for that or we're not interested anymore. I mean, naturally, you guys can imagine that's not unusual to hear that. Um, so I think it, we, you know, we had a lot of meaning behind this weekend, drawing the crowds that we did. Um, and and that was part of it. It was it was also like, a, hey, look, uh, we're still going big. And Fresno's still coming out for for pro baseball, in spite of what maybe some of the uh, the, the little side talking points have been. Um, this community rallies around baseball and rallies around the big weekends, and uh, you know it was proof of that. So a lot of lot of meaning and a lot of different things, uh, a lot of feeling this weekend for the Grizzlies, uh, with a lot more to our story this year than maybe some other clubs. And uh, hey, man, we, we we also have a great baseball team, which has been fun. You know, the, the Grizzlies, uh, I think at low A, we've got a, a, you know, you see a younger, less developed uh, product. But man, they play with a lot of intensity, a lot of fire. We have a good team this year. So we also got to showcase that like this team is a special team that's probably going to be in the hunt all year. And uh, they they did like this magical walk off come from behind. They were down nine to two on Saturday and they came back in front of a packed house. And it was like it was like a storybook, you know, moment for the comeback of the Grizzlies in 2021. Uh, so we're feeling great. And, you know, like most teams did, we backloaded our uh, promotional schedule. And uh, this feels like the sort of the, the lift off for us to just have a great second half of the year, finish on a high note and. Uh, and, you know, and just keep feeling uh, normal. Well, yeah, as of today when we're recording, the Grizzlies are 35 and 20 and uh, just a really talented team. you got so many top prospects on that roster right now with Zach Veen, who was a first-round selection last year, and Drew Romo, who was a high pick, and Grant Levine, who was a, a first-round selection a couple of years ago. Um, and to be in this spot right now, Derek, where, um, you know, we've talked about the, the community rallying around you and the support, you know, not only from this weekend, but growing as the summer grows. Um, you guys obviously have been one of, really over the last several years, kind of the cornerstone franchises in the minor leagues in terms of promotions and identity and, you know, the tacos phenomenon and all that type of stuff. When you look around the minors and you talk with people around the minors, um, what have the conversations been like for everybody else from this weekend? Because I know that it, it feels like this was a watershed type of weekend where, um, you know, you guys get over 10,000 for a game. I know Albuquerque had over, I think 13,000 for a game the other day in the, the same system as you guys was the largest crowd in the minor leagues this year. Um, and there was a lot of discussion on on baseball social media this weekend about how okay now it feels like the minor leagues are well and truly back what are the conversations like you have with other people around minor league baseball after this fourth of july weekend yeah i mean i I heard exactly what you mentioned which is it feels coming out party for minor league baseball it feels like we we the the uh all the road back 
feels solidified now. And, um, and we all kind of have this grin on our face of like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's now back. People are comfortable. Uh, this felt like the old times. You're hearing a lot of that when we talk to our, our colleagues out there in baseball. And, um, and so it's just great. It was a longer road to recovery for minor league baseball. I mean, I think, uh, you know, all of us had our last game, last baseball game in September of 2019. Some of us have off day events and other things that, that generate revenue and get people in the ballpark. Um, but it's a long, much longer layover. I think, you know, during 2020, when we talked about, when we would talk about, Hey, what's going on with the organization a lot, you know, all this stuff, I'd find myself saying, Hey, the last time we had our doors open really with a, a significant event was like October of, uh, 2019. We had a, 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 we had an off day event here, which, um, so the, the, the layoff time was stretched out and much longer for us than, uh, some other businesses out there. So we're all uh, feeling really good about the fact that, uh, you know, we could put big crowds again, get, get back to the normal feeling without social distancing and, uh, and strong. I think everybody's got that same feeling. All right, Derek, final point from me, you guys, as I said, have been uh, industry leaders in so many things in recent years. And you mentioned the backloaded promo schedule. Um, what are some of the things coming up for Grizzlies fans, for people who maybe are going to be passing through Fresno or making a trip to Fresno or whatever? What are some of the promotional things that you're most excited about for the rest of the season, especially now knowing you can pack the house, you can have, uh, you know, a very Fresno Grizzlies feeling night again? What are some of the things you're most excited about for the next couple of months? Well, we've got some mainstays that we've deliberately pushed back. So like in recent years, you know, uh, maybe not unique to us, but, you know, uh, the, the, the character appearances, we've got the Paw Patrol coming back, uh, which was one of our best nights in 2019. So the Paw Patrol dogs are coming back. We've got uh, another Nickelodeon appearance with, with Peppa Pig. Um, I think most of our fans are excited about the return of not just the Taco Truck Throwdown, of course, our flagship event. Uh, but also the return of the Fresno tacos, they have been uh, conspicuous by their absence. We, we, we decided, you know, we opened back up on a, on a Tuesday this year, which would, would have been Taco Tuesday. And uh, we decided after the long layover, uh, the Grizzlies should return after a long layover, not the tacos. Uh, but the tacos aren't gone. They will return and make a return in August. And we've got a, a lot of cool things themed around their return uh, that I think fans will look forward to. That'll uh you know, kind of catapult us down to uh, the bigger event in the off season uh, uh, for, for that. So we get to kind of stretch out that into a multi-day uh, effort. And uh, we've got a bunch of stuff that's kind of in the, uh, the, uh, the toolkit or uh, the magic uh, uh, bag of tricks that, um, that Sam Hansen, our marketing ninja had stashed away that we can now bring out that haven't been announced yet. So I'm kind of in, in, in true, uh, 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 maybe Carney or a TV host fashion going to tell our fans to, uh, you know, what's out there now is not all you're going to get. Stay tuned. There is certainly more. And uh, we look forward to bringing back some other uh, fun, interesting things around food and around, you know, Fresno centric promotions that you're only going to see uh, here in, uh, in our market that makes sense to our fans here. So uh, more to come uh, now that we feel comfortable going, all right, we can do more of those things that we weren't quite sure early on. Um, so excited to, to uh, put more out there here very soon. Well, the fans are coming back. The tacos are coming back. The marketing ninjas are coming back out of their lairs. It's a time for optimism, rebirth, and renewal. And uh, I think what happened in Fresno this past weekend is, of course, a great example of that. 
Uh, Derek, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and talking about an excellent reopening weekend. Uh, thank you guys for uh, having me on. It's great. I could sit here and shoot the breeze with you guys all day, but uh, uh, thankful for the time we got together, man. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Continuing along on this week's episode of the show before the show, it is uh, just me and Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. You don't have to sound look so, so disappointed. You look so lonely in that in that uh, in that room now, conference room. I mean, I am. I am. This is <laughs> no more Ben. It's a big I was going to say this before. We we are in a room that is designed for five, um, but given how much like the the immensity of the situation. Like yeah, the, we could only fit two of us in here. If there were right, more right, right. two of us in here, exactly. The room, the room would have just erupted with all of the good vibes. Yes, as, uh, as the people say. Uh, well, it is time now for three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show, and uh, we have so much big stuff coming up this weekend. We're recording this right now on uh, Wednesday, July seventh. Major League All Star Week. Uh, starting here, coming up in my hometown and the place where I am currently sitting in Denver, Colorado. Very excited. Get to cover a whole bunch of cool stuff. Um, coming up on Sunday, massive day. If you are a fan of prospects, if you are a fan of future prospects, all of the best stuff on the calendar is coming up this weekend. Sunday is the biggest day of all. And uh, we're going to kick it off with a discussion of the Major League Baseball first-year player draft, which starts on Sunday. The first 36 selections, the first round, the competitive balance round A, uh, set to go on Sunday evening from the Belco Theater, the Colorado Convention Center here in Denver. And uh, I'm going to be there. Uh, Kelsey Hannigan will be there, our friend. Uh, so many of us from the uh, the pipeline side and so many others, of course, from MLB.com. Um, Sam, you've gotten a chance to really get into a lot of the, the details and uh, the elements of especially the top-level guys in this draft. Um, but this draft is so fascinating because, of course, last year draft shortened to five rounds uh, during the pandemic. This year, there is so much high-end talent, but – and maybe I'm mistaken in thinking this way. Is there a theme to this year's draft class? It feels like, you know, so many times in years past has been, oh, it's college arms are the theme this year. High school shortstops are the theme this year. Whatever it is, what stands out about the 2021 draft class as we had towards Sunday and, and Monday and Tuesday and the start of these guys' careers? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's almost been the theme for me, so, so somebody who was following this from afar and is following it a little bit more closely as we get closer to Sunday. Uh, I have a couple stories out on MLB pipeline. One is breaking down the best draft prospect by state. And then another one is breaking down the best draft prospect by position. Um, so that's allowed me to get a little bit deeper into the draft conversation this year. But I mean, go flashback to March even. And so much of the conversation about this draft was, is it lighter or rocker? That that's what the discussion was. That's what we thought the theme of this draft would be. And, and as the spring has gone along, I mean, the, those guys are still top 10 prospects. There's no reason why they shouldn't hear their names called early on Sunday. Uh, I don't want to say they're, they're no longer a theme of the draft. They are certainly that, but uh, high school shortstops have, have Come to the fore, Marcelo Meyer is, is the number one prospect in this draft coming out of East Lake, California. Uh, Jordan Lawler, some consider him the top prospect in this draft out of Texas. Khalil Watson is right there. Um, but then you also think about Henry Davis has evolved into the top college hitter in this draft, and, and that wasn't necessarily expected 
uh, coming into 2021, although he certainly had a good 2020, but that was very abbreviated. Uh, he surged on the scene as well. So I think the biggest thing right now is just how unpredictable I think this draft is. I mean, that's the theme. I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm just throwing my hands up and shrugging and being like, we don't know until we know, but that, that feels especially true this year. I think back to 2019 when the draft was happening or even 2020 where we knew who the number one overall pick was going to be. It was nailed on Adley Rutschman in 2019. It was nailed on Spencer Torkelson in 2020. I remember the, the Orioles front office saying to Adley Rutschman, it's nice to finally see you again after a while, just because they were kind of playing a cat and mouse game of, um, I know you're the number one pick. We know you're the number one pick. We're not going to have these conversations or, or do anything pre-draft until the pick is taken. Um, this year, I think the Pirates, as we speak here on Wednesday, they still might not know who they are going to take. Uh, a lot of that has to deal with draft bonus pools and who is going to take maybe a little less money so the Pirates can spread around their pool a little bit more deeper into the draft. Um, one thing I'm excited about this year, I'm not fully excited about it, but I am excited about it compared to 2020 is the expansion of the draft back to 20 rounds. Um, last year, as you'll recall, there were only five rounds uh, because of COVID issues and concerns. This year, it's up to 20. We're still not at the 40 that we were. I don't know if or when we're ever going to get back to that level, uh, but certainly more players getting drafted, getting their pro career started is a good thing. So I'm excited about that aspect of it. But as I look at it, it's really just so many, like a lot of the dra draft or the mocks right now have Meyer number one to the Pirates, but that's just because he's the best player available. And it would make sense for the Pirates, very much a rebuilding organization right now, to just take the best player available, let him lead their system now that Brian Hayes uh, has graduated, let him become the top overall prospect in that system, let him be the shortstop of the future. He can do so many things very well. Uh, the reason why he is the number one draft prospect this year is because he can hit uh, we really do believe that he's going to be a plus hitter from the left side. He's got a little bit of power. Uh, he can certainly field his position at shortstop. He's probably nailed on there as well. So that, that certainly plays up. Um, but then you look at what happens if he does fall. Like what if we're having a conversation where the Rangers at number two have to choose between Meyer, Jack Leiter, and Jordan Lawler, who Jordan Lawler is right in their backyard. Uh, you know, nobody's probably scouted him more than the Texas Rangers this year. Uh, other picks that I'm going to be looking at, like what if Henry Davis falls to number five with the Baltimore Orioles? Henry Davis is a catcher. He has a plus-plus arm behind the plate. Not as good defensively as that. Uh, it, some framing issues. He's a little rougher around the edges there, but he can certainly throw the ball. And if all of a sudden you have Henry Davis in the same system as Adley Rutschman, what does that mean for either of those players? It probably means Davis is going to move positions down the line, but that's not a decision they have to make. Do the Orioles simply take him because he's a, the best player on their board at that point? Going to be fascinating to see that. And also there's some rumblings going around about the Red Sox are trying to get Jack Leiter to fall to them at number four, um, potentially him talking up his signing bonus demands for the top three spots so he can get to the Red Sox. Is that going to work? Is somebody like the Rangers or the Tigers uh, going to call that bluff and take him anyways and know, hey, you're probably not going back for your senior year if you're a top three pick. Take the money that's offered to you. Uh, it, it, but all of that's just theorizing right now. Like I, I working closely with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo on other projects on mostly our minor league 
prospect coverage, but watching them cover the draft and, and go through this, I always had a big respect for them, but I have a newfound respect for just how deep they get into it, this process. And when even they are saying they are, there are so many question marks about who's going to go where, it's going to be a fascinating process on Sunday. I think it's going to make for a great event um, when we don't know where, where guys are going and um, what are all the dominoes that are going to fall? We're going to have to see like how far does Kumar Rocker go just because he had an uneven spring and by uneven spring, I still mean he was second in all of NCAA uh, division one in strikeouts, like just because his velocity fluctuated, does he fall to the Royals at seven? Does he go even further than that? Maybe to the Rockies at eight. Uh, I know the Washington nationals would certainly love him at 11. Uh, so many things that we're going to have to watch out. So if, if your original question, uh, what feels like 20 minutes ago was, is there a theme? And I think the answer is no. I think there are multiple themes that are going to be watching, but all of them are kind of leaning on each other. And once one theme gets answered, we'll know more about another theme and, and they're all going to be interlinked like that. But it's going to be a fascinating watch on Sunday. Earlier in the day on Sunday is the 2021 Futures game. And we talked a little bit about rosters and how loaded this group is on the American and National League sides. Um, I am so pumped for the Futures game. This will be my first ever Futures game. Uh, Gates open for those of you who could be in attendance at Coors Field on Sunday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. First pitches at 1 p.m. Sam, this uh, Futures game obviously is – uh, kind of a, a unique and different one. We heard obviously the comment earlier about the coming out party for minor league baseball this year. This kind of feels like the coming out party again for prospects on a massive stage. We've seen them on big league stages since the start of 2020, whether it was guys who were making big impacts in the postseason, somebody like Randy Rosarena, um, or the, the prospects who've already graduated this year. Uh, you know, Wander Franco comes to mind. I'm only going to name Rays. Uh, apparently, which is uh, uh, a clue at what our third strike this week will be as well. But the things that right now are in your mind for the Futures game and some of your predictions for the Futures game on Sunday, give us a a little bit of an inkling of what you're looking forward to. Yeah, so we'll we'll try to keep this fun and just stick it to predictions. But um, Tyler, you're going to hate me saying this because I I know exactly what you're going to say. Coors! Thank you. I already know what's coming. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, being the thin air of Coors Field and of Denver in general. Um, Coors! I, Coors! Coors! I do think we're in a spot to see one of the most hitter-friendly Futures games we've ever seen. Um, and I don't mean that just because of the environment. Like, the, the prospects in the game itself, I think, are special. Like, I think Spencer Torkelson is going to have a, a special batting practice, and that's always, like, the talk of the, the season is – um, you know, who had the best futures game batting practice. Yeah. I think, I think you put torque in Denver and just say like, Hey, aim for the trees. Uh, and that could be a, I, I, that could be a killer event for sure. So I think torque's going to hit in a home run. That's going to send everybody send like screaming to stack cast, just being like, um, you know, like, how hard was that hit? How far did it go? I think Torkelson's going to be that guy. I think Bobby Witt Jr. also has that potential. Again, we saw him hit, I think it was 484 feet uh, during spring training. That was not in Denver. That was in Arizona. But uh, we know what he can do when he really runs into a ball. I think that's possible. I think there's going to be multiple home runs hit. I think a couple of years ago in Cleveland, the only, one, the only person to homer in that game was Sam Huff who has killer power. We just saw him hit a 500 foot Homer in a rehab game in the Arizona complex. But, uh, but I think looking at this team right now, I think this is going to be 
more of a hitter friendly environment that we've seen, which is not typically true of all-star games in which guys on the mound only are going for two or three batters. So they really let it fly. Uh, but I think there's just so much more potential on the hitting side than the pitching side here, throw in the environment. I think we could have a high scoring game. It's only going to be seven innings. So high scoring is like six to five. Um, but that is certainly in the cards. That That is my prediction. The other one I will throw out because this annoyed me last time is that this game will not end in a tie. Uh, there will not be a tie. That, like that seems like very basic that you would think like, oh, of course it's not going to end in a tie. Why is that a thing to point out? I just, I don't like it when that happens. Um, I also, I'm not a huge fan of the game only going seven innings instead of nine. I think a lot of that has to be with, you know, you don't want a guy getting hurt uh, in the eighth or ninth inning. So keep it as tight as you can, but still, this is supposed to be a showcase. This is supposed to be a fun event, play the full nine. Uh, but I, I do think after seven, seven innings, we will have a winner. It's a fool's errand to pick a winner in this game, AL or NL, but I do think there will be a winner this time. So Tyler, you're going to actually be there. Um, I am. What do you think is actually going to happen? Also, I just saw a news item come across. Joey Gallo is going to be in the home run derby. Gallo and Shohei Otani. Talk about cool. Yeah, right. Man. This is going to be, we are going to have some. And Matt Olson fun. was added just uh, the no. other night. Like it, Matt Olson and, has a swing yeah. that is designed. Matt Olson has ridiculous Or the home run derby. Bob. Yeah. 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 Um, I, uh, yeah. I mean, my hope is that we'll have the, the stat cast dreamable moments, right? Like a, a home run, like you talked about, I want to see somebody visit, you know, the concourse in left center. Uh, I want to see, uh, you know, the, the types of things that you expect from a game at Coors Field. I also though, would very much like to see some dudes just come and blow out the radar gun. Like I want to see, you know, one Oh two from guys. I want to see just the things that we missed not having a futures game uh, in 2020. That's all of the stuff that I care about. My expectations for things now are just like anything happens and I'm happy with it. That's what the world of 2020 <laughs> left me with. Uh, I'm just happy with seeing, I just hope everybody goes out and has a good time. That's what I care about. Uh, no, I'm really excited. You know, one thing that we had talked about, I think on last week's episode, there's a chance Seattle Mariners fans are going to get to see Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez next to each other in the outfield for the first time uh, on a major stage like that. Um, you know, you mentioned Adley Rushman and Spencer Torkelson and those guys. Um, the amount of talent in this game feels as exciting and as loaded as a futures game in recent memory. And that makes me very happy that major league organizations in a pandemic year and all of that were like, Hey, we want our guys in this. We want our guys on this stage. We want our guys taking part. Um, I'm just pumped, man. I'm just happy to be here. Hope everybody has a good time. And, and we'll throw out one more prediction of sorts plus or minus Half a time uh, on base for Jason Dominguez. Uh, I'm going to go over. I'm you do think over. he's going to reach base? I do think he's going to reach base. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. You? I, I'm going to take the under because I think there's even a chance he might not play. That's not – Yeah, that's right. And that's probably true. Like that's I probably true. There's so many guys who have to play in that outfield. Um, he might come in as a pinch runner, which will not count for the, the purposes of this. If he comes in as a pinch runner and that's all he does offensively, we're not counting that. Uh, but that's, that's what really plays for him right now is, is the speed. Like that's going to play on any field he plays on. So maybe if he comes in as a late pinch runner and works the field a little bit and doesn't have to worry about facing 98 miles an hour, or like you say, if somebody can dial it up to hundred, um, the Yankees might be pleased with that. They might just want him more there for the experience. Right. Anything, but that's going to be the million dollar question is does the 18 year old who has never played in 
a minor league game above the complex. Right. Like in the futures game in in a major league stadium. (laughs) Before setting field on a full full season uh, minor league field, setting foot on a full season minor league field. That would be quite an accomplishment. I wonder, has anybody ever done that? Has anybody ever gone straight from a complex start to their career to the futures game? No. And uh, which is amazing. I mean, makes sense in some level. Certainly. Um, and one other thing I want to point out is Yoelki Suspedis uh, is also in the game. And he has played in a minor league game, but he like he just started a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. experience-wise, in terms of like games played, he's not that much further along than Dominguez. Right. And he's uh, also in that AL outfield. Yoannis's younger brother, of course, and a guy who is a lot – further along yes in yes his, he's not uh, 18 he's not right exactly guy. he's 23 um had played a, a whole bunch of time in the the Serie Nacional the Cuban League uh before defecting and now with the White Sox but yeah he didn't even make his debut until just a couple of weeks ago and we've seen him in the World Baseball Classic and all that type of stuff but he will be uh, another guy who is a very intriguing member of uh, of that AL squad um man I'm just so excited I'm so excited for my very first uh very first futures game experience. Literally the only thing, and I texted you this yesterday. Literally the only thing that I am not excited about for this week is that you won't be there for me to. <laughs> it's okay. I, like I, I will look through your stories afterwards. And <laughs> if I can give you any advice, it's literally don't look down. I like okay. maybe to keep score, something like that. Yeah. But something is going to happen at every moment. At every moment. I, I like it. I've mentioned this on the show plenty before, but Taylor Trammell, two years ago, he's basically like, an all-star of futures games as far as that goes but he uh two years ago tried to steal home like if you were looking elsewhere you wouldn't have seen that happen uh the year before that he homered and then hit one deep to nats park thought he had homered again flashed the two signal to the dugout only to realize it hadn't left and he had to speed around the bases to get to the third like something is going to happen in this game akin to that somebody is going to do something to show their personality or uh, try to show off in whatever way they can in front of the bright lights that you don't want to miss um, because something else was happening in the ballpark. Every at-bat, every pitch is going to be dripping in talent. And that goes for you guys at home too. Like you're, you're going to want to it, – it's the minor leagues. It's, it's not the all-star game. You, you might think like, oh, nothing big is going to happen here. This is kind of where legends are made and where, where a lot yeah. of people are going to see these guys for the first time. And they know that. So they're going to want to show off their skills as well. Absolutely agreed. And uh, strike three this week. Ordinarily, this would be a, a strike one kind of a leadoff sort of topic, but obviously we got a big week. Baseball's number 36 overall prospect, Vidal Brujan, has made his major league debut. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays number two prospect now making the jump up to the big league level to join Tampa Bay's number one prospect, of course, and Wander Franco made his major league debut recently. Um, Sam, seeing these two guys up at the, at the big league level, you know, with the Tampa Bay Rays, you never know how long necessarily they're going to be manning the infield together, but still pretty dang exciting for Rays fans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and a lot of them have been in my mentions of like, hopefully Bruin sticks. And I, and I agree with that. Um, it se- certainly seems like he's going to do that for a little while. The reason why they brought him up, Manuel Margot, uh, is going on the IL with hamstring issues. So he's going to be out for a little bit of time. Bruhan has played almost everywhere on the field so far for AAA Durham. I think legitimately he's played every position except for pitcher, first base, and catcher. Uh, he's played all three outfield spots. He traditionally came up as a middle infielder, mostly shortstop, and then transitioned to second base. He also has played a little bit of third base uh, this summer. So 
he's going to kind of be the Swiss army knife of players. They're going to plug him in wherever they need him. He made his debut today on Wednesday, uh, starting at second base, uh, batting fifth in that lineup. So they're throwing him right into the middle of the lineup the same way, same way they did with Wander Franco. Uh, Bruhan started out the year showing more power than we expected out of him. Uh, his nine homers at AAA Durham already match his career high, but that's really turned south since I think June. He only hit two homers in June. Um, hasn't gone deep in a little bit leading up to this call, but he still is a predominantly line drive contact hitter. Uh, he's going to spray the ball all over the field, a switch hitter like Wander Franco. So it makes it really difficult for other teams to play matchups with him. Uh, his best tool is his plus plus run tool. I think since 2018, I want to say uh, he actually leads minor league baseball in stolen bases, 2018 being the, time when he first appeared for a full season affiliate. So he's not afraid to take the, the stolen base. He led AAA East in stolen bases at the time of his call up. He's going to keep things moving for sure. It's just how much is he going to hit when he gets up there? Uh, like I said, things had taken a little bit of a south turn for him. He was hit, only batting 259 at Durham, uh, but the potential is there. He's a career 290 hitter in the minors. His first hit, I think, was at 107 miles per hour off the bat in the first inning. Really attacked it, yanked it. Uh, sent it to the outfield. It had an expected batting average of above 800. The bat is going to play. Uh, he's 23 years old. He's around the time when we should be talking about a call-up for him anyways. Um, so for the Rays, who are in the thick of a playoffs hunt right now, uh, trying to chase down the Red Sox in the AL East, trying to hold off some other teams in the wild card race, adding somebody of Ruhan's talents is huge for them. We'll see what happens when Margot comes back. Uh, it's all going to depend on what kind of hitter Ruhan can be in these first couple weeks. Uh, but all the potential is there for him to play anywhere on the diamond that they need him and continue to move him around as they try to keep his speed and his bat in the lineup. And that is three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. We will be back to wrap this one up coming up next. note on this week's edition of the podcast. Ghosts of the Miners will not be heard this week in its regularly scheduled time, but tune in next week for more thrilling tales of the years past in minor league baseball with your host, Joshua Jackson. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. MILB.TV is where you can catch all of the top talent in minor league baseball. Sam, what are you watching on MILB TV this week? Yeah, so I've got my eye on the ninth, which is on Friday. Uh, Jackson Kwar is going to be going for the Omaha Storm Tracers. It's an 8 Eastern start uh, going up against the Toledo Mudhens. Toledo doesn't have any of the big boppers in that Tiger system. There's no Torkelson. There's no Green. There's no Dingler. Um, but the reason I'm going to be watching this start is Jackson Quar is somebody who came up for the Royals, had a disastrous uh, first couple major league outings. They actually flirted with moving him to the bullpen. Now he's back down at Omaha and is starting to show a little bit of the signs of who he was at the beginning of the season. Um, the Royals have kind of been, had a bumpy introduction to some of these guys. I know Chris Bubich didn't start out great last year. Uh, didn't start out great this year either, but has seemed to be coming along a little bit better. Quar's right in that mix. He struck out 10 over five innings in his last start. The changeup, I think, is still one of the best pitches in the minor leagues, and it can make him a starting pitcher. But this is a good opportunity uh, to check in on his progress and see how he can build off that 10-strikeout outing uh, when he next takes the mound here on Friday against Toledo at home. Uh, Tyler, what do you got your eye on? 
Yeah. So here's my level of excitement. Follow me here. No. So a guy who I feel like could have uh, very well been named to the American League Futures game roster and was not uh, is somebody who you will still get to see on a gigantic stage coming up later on this month. Simeon Woods Richardson, the right-handed pitching prospect in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. He, as of right now, looks like he is scheduled to go for the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats coming up on Saturday at Binghamton, taking on the Rumble Ponies in a game you can catch on MILB.TV. And the reason why I'm highlighting Simeon Woods Richardson, aside from the fact that he's very talented and very fun to watch, he was named to USA Baseball's roster for the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo coming up uh, here very shortly. So I would assume he'll make that start and then leave to join that team for their camp uh, ahead of the Olympic Games. But if not, uh, then now you know you got to keep an eye out for him as uh, as the Olympics get closer and closer. But Simeon Woods Richardson, remember that USA Baseball staff, he was terrific in the qualifiers for them and his start. And uh, that is that. He and his team on the road at Binghamton. Sam's got to get out of the Edgar Martinez conference room. And it was very exciting to see him there. And uh, good to see you, buddy. Feels normal. Things feel normal and good. Things do feel normal when I am being rushed out of a conference room. That is not my own. I love it. I love it. It's fantastic. It's a sign we're back. Hey, Sam. I'm Tyler. Get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. And uh, for him, I'm me. We'll talk to you next week. 